If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Will you bow your heads with me? The severe storms this week were worrisome, Holy One. We know too much about what they can do not to keep an eye on the sky during this time of year. We tried to understand the meteorologists as best we could, but it seems like they keep making up new words, and it was already hard enough to remember the difference between a supercell and a mesocyclone. Many of us had a safe place to drag pillows and blankets into and huddle, but many of us did not. And it occurs to us that this isn't so different in non-weather-related matters. The winds are high, blowing in more gubernatorial scandals than can fit on the front page. We are buffeted by impossible decisions about our children, our work, our next step. Some of us are soaked to the bone with grief. The lights are flickering on the basic human right of body autonomy. Not all of us have a safe place to huddle. We're praying for clear skies and bright sun, Holy One, but we need you to remind us that we've come through storms before. Comfort us with words that we know to be true. That even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. Or as the hymn says, through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. We pray in the spirit of the disciples who also asked for help in the storm. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. 
Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, who heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him with a request, Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then, calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Peter raises Tabitha. That's what this story is usually called. The focus, not surprisingly, squarely on what Peter did. And most of us have at least heard of Peter. They call him the rock. But that guy just needs a huge hug from us. In some Christian traditions, Peter is the patron saint of net makers, shipbuilders, fishermen, and locksmiths. And he is also considered to be the patron saint of the church universal, which I believe is because Peter's life of faith is sometimes disappointingly representative of all of us. You'll remember during the transfiguration when Peter offered to build shelters for Jesus and Elijah and Moses when he really should have been in the moment. Put your phone down, Peter. Or you'll remember the time Peter enthusiastically jumped out of the boat to meet Jesus, who was walking on water, but Peter got distracted and began to sink. Or the time when Jesus said that he would wash the disciples' feet and Peter says, Lord, you will never wash my feet. Not realizing that Jesus was in the middle of teaching a life lesson. Peter then denies knowing Jesus three times, but only to be credited later by the Gospel of John as the first person to enter the tomb on resurrection morning. Peter is pretty lovable, if only because he is so us, bumbling about, tripping over ourselves, trying our best to be faithful. The good news is that Peter proves that we don't have to be perfect to get it absolutely right. Peter raises Tabitha. Well, not many of us have heard of Tabitha, the woman from Joppa, the woman devoted to good acts and charity. That she is less familiar is not surprising. So many stories involving women simply don't make it into the pulpit, quite frankly. But Tabitha, Tabitha could not even be left out of the Bible. Tabitha is the first woman to be officially named a disciple. This text includes the first and only use in the New Testament of the feminine form of the Greek word for disciple. We, of course, 
know that she was not the only female disciple. She's just the only one that got that word associated with her. Peter raises Tabitha is the kind of story that makes church people squirm. Jesus coming back from the dead is mostly fine, but regular people coming back from the dead? Like, that's suspect. Is the moral of the story that miracles happen only to those who are extraordinarily virtuous? That would certainly diminish the concept of grace and place a strong emphasis on the importance of works, but surely, surely the author of Acts does not mean to say that we can earn our salvation. This is also the kind of story that has people sigh and say that this is why they feel like they have to check their brains at the church door For so long, blind belief was required of us, but intellectual integrity and honesty is actually not in conflict with reading the Bible. And trying to explain away a miracle is still forcing us to think of literal interpretation as the only interpretation, but there's so much more we can learn from this story. Peter raises Tabitha is also the kind of stories that make pastors squirm. I mean, talk about unrealistic expectations. Raising people from the dead. Ugh. I mean, this goes way beyond people uh, getting mad that we didn't visit them in the hospital, even though they didn't tell us or anyone else that they were in the hospital and still expecting us to show up. Not that any of you would do that. But really, this is not a class we take in seminary. I've heard of some televangelists who have tried this, but they all seem to end up in HBO Max docudramas. (laughs) But this story, truly, is pretty standard as far as the book of Acts goes, because the book of Acts is a collection of radical stories. The most familiar to everyone is probably that story about Saul, on his way to bully the believers in Damascus, but he was blinded by a bright light and a voice spoke to him from the heavens. But before that, in chapter three, Peter restored the mobility of a man described as lame from birth. And in chapter five, Peter and the apostles were imprisoned, but in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord appeared and let a jailbreak. And after that, each chapter is sprinkled with stories of signs and wonders done by the apostles. Unclean spirits, crying out with loud shrieks, come out of many who were possessed. And one after another, after another, after another, the paralyzed or the lame are restored. Simon, a local magician, gives up his smoke and mirrors routine because he was so impressed with the acts of the apostles. And just before this story of raising Tabitha, we are told of the healing of a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed for eight years. The book of Acts is basically 28 chapters of relentless, wild adventures, astonishing healings, and enthusiastic evangelism that doesn't let up for one single second. It's no wonder. I mean, we've got assassination plots, shipwrecks, and snake handling. It is no wonder that megachurches think they need laser lights and smoke machines. This is serious. But the book of Acts is part pep talk and part reminder of what it means to be people of the way, and at the time they really needed it. It is a continuation of the story of Jesus, 
which is why it contains such spectacular stories. The gospel gives us the story of Jesus and the book of Acts, gives us the stories of his followers and how they carried on. How did the beloved community know that Jesus was still at work? Well, just listen to what the disciples and the apostles have been up to. They can heal just like Jesus, they can preach just like Jesus, and they can raise people from the dead just like Jesus. But the miracle, and I cannot stress this enough, the miracle is never, ever the point of the story. When we think that it is, we risk overlooking the most significant evidence that Jesus was still at work in the lives of followers of the way. Our first clue comes all the way back in chapter 2 where the fellowship of believers is described as devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Usually, that's where preachers stop quoting the text because the next few verses are decidedly less popular. But here's the rest. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Communists. <laughs> Later on in chapter 4, speaking of a different community, the text says, now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. There was not a needy person among them, for as many had owned lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need." But these were the early church communities, and they were trying to live out their highest ideals of Jesus' teachings. The community in Joppa is another example of those early churches. From what the text says, the community was made up primarily of widows. As scholar Elizabeth Schusler Fiorenza notes, in the first century, the majority of the poor and starving were women especially those women who had no male agencies that might have enabled them to share in the wealth of the patriarchal system. But that's exactly who Tabitha built a community out of. Tabitha built a community out of these women who were supposed to be poor and starving, despite Hardship, challenge, tragedy, and dismissal, she led a community described as saints and widows. The text says she was devoted to good works and acts of charity and that she clothed others with garments that she made herself, which is a way of saying they had established a new economy, one that did not leave anyone out. But even this saint could not avoid the human experience. Tabitha became ill and died. The community was devastated. They sent for Peter. And what did they expect from him exactly? I mean, we assume that because they asked Peter to come without delay, 
that they thought he would revive Tabitha. But, but I'm not sure that's right. After all, they had already begun preparing her body for burial. They had washed her and laid her out. It sounds like what they really wanted from Peter was some pastoral care, a blessing perhaps, recognition of the life of this remarkable woman. Peter got the message to go to Joppa and he does. And this is where we can imagine the scene upon his arrival. The house was packed, standing room only. But don't you worry, casseroles filled the freezer. The hospitality committee had set the most beautiful dessert table you've ever seen. And the coffee was on. The widows have on the clothes that Tabitha made for each of them, and Peter could hardly make it up the stairs because he kept getting pulled aside for stories about, hey, do you remember how Tabitha did this, and Tabitha did that, and do you remember when Tabitha offered this or did this? The spirit of Tabitha filled the room. But it is at this point that the text forces our focus almost exclusively on the miracle of Peter's power over death. The problem, though, is that the miracle had already been worked. It was in the bag, a done deal, finished. I mean, how else do we explain the existence of a thriving community of widows and saints? I mean, this was the real miracle. Here was a woman who had built a community out of people who had no safety net, social status, or any power of any kind. But they had decided to say no to the rules society had set, just like all of those other communities we read about in the book of Acts. They said no to the status quo, to believing that they didn't matter. They said no to the idea that they had nothing to contribute or offer. When society said that widows would live in destitution, the followers of the way said, poverty? No, poverty does not have the last word, not in this community. Um, isolation? No, isolation does not have the last word, not in this community. The last and the least will be brought in out of the shadows. Need. Nope. Need does not have the last word in this community. Everyone will have clothes, food, and shelter because there really is enough for everyone. No. Do not tell us what to believe. No. So when it came to death? No. Death does not have the last word, not in this community. The story of Tabitha and her community of widows and saints is an ecclesial proclamation, a declaration of who we are as the beloved community. And this is the real gift of the radical, crazy stories in the book of Acts, whether they happened or not. They are a blueprint for messy, unbelievable, turn the empire upside down followers of the way. And now it is our turn to make a declaration of who we are as the beloved community. 
And in the tradition of that beloved community in Joppa, I suggest that we are the church of no. No, we do not believe that we should only worry about ourselves. No, we do not believe that whoever dies with the most toys wins. No, we do not believe economies ever trickle down. Every day we are told about how bad things are and how nothing will get better, that we can't trust each other. But we say no, no, no we don't believe that. It's why we spent 12 hours at Miss Morris's house yesterday with rebuilding together, patching holes, replacing windows, painting walls, cleaning cabinets, and sweeping floors. No, we do not believe that corporations are people. No, we do not believe that men shouldn't cry. No, we do not believe that the binary is the end-all, be-all, if it ever was. No, we do not believe that OG&E can promise annual double-digit dividends to stockholders and then turn around and demand a near double-digit rate hike increase from the wider community. No. No, we do not believe that people with a uterus are incubators or anything less than fully capable moral agents. We are constantly told that white supremacy keeps the world in motion, that once an addict, always an addict, that we should be afraid of immigrants, Muslims, the gay agenda, if you can find it, science, that we should be afraid of Mickey Mouse and public school teachers and anyone who kneels for the national anthem. But we are the church of no. So when we leave this place, we will go out to live in service to others and to God. We will commit to singing and praying, peacemaking, table flipping, community building. We will love without reservation, without exception. We will not let anyone take our hope, our joy, our resolve, or our belief that all of us need all of us to make it. Nobody, nope, nope, no. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.